Hey guys, Jeremy here. Just wanted to throw out a little disclaimer here at the beginning of the show before we really get into the show. And it's simple. We ran into some microphone audio issues for about the first, I would say it's about the first eight minutes or so. And then it starts to smooth out and get a little bit better. So when you start to listen to this episode, if you are like, what's going on? The sound quality isn't what I'm used to. Well, it's we we were trying some lapel mics. We were actually videoing this episode uh, for our patrons. Those videos will be up shortly. Uh, we're just trying to move more into the YouTube sphere, and we were testing out some new equipment, and it didn't work quite the way we wanted it to. Uh, later in the show, the, the sound uh, sort of equalizes, levels out. Um, I was kind of on the fly messing around with the... Uh, uh, the levels for the audio for the microphones and it slowly started to get a little bit better. It's not as good as, as what you would normally expect, but it does improve as the episode goes along. Our apologies. The The crazy thing is, is it might be one of our better discussions that we've had in a long time. Uh, it's all about the shining. And so thanks so much for, for downloading this episode and listening to it. And uh, we, we couldn't be doing this without people, people listening. So thank you so much. And here is the shining. Welcome to Living in the Past, where two middle-aged dudes relive their past by enjoying the pop culture of their youth. I'm Jeremy, and on this episode, we're exploring the 1980 classic film, The Shining. What better film that you can look at it? closing in on Halloween than this movie, but I couldn't do this alone. I couldn't do this without the help of Jeff. So Jeff, thank you for being here. It's great to talk about The Shining with you. I am excited to talk about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining with you today. <laughs> this should be amazing. Yeah, Jeremy. it's so much fun. I, so for those of you who are like, wait a minute, The Shining, give me a little refresher. The story of The Shining follows um, the character Jack Torrance. This was a Stephen King novel turned into a movie by Stanley Kubrick. And so the story of the movie follows Jack Torrance, a struggling writer, and we'll talk about, is he struggling? Is he really even a writer? <laughs> Who takes a job as the winter caretaker of the isolated Overlook Hotel with his wife, Wendy, and young son, Danny. As the hotel becomes snowbound, supernatural forces begin to torment the family. Jack's descent into madness, coupled with his psychic son's ability to see the hotel's dark past leads to a terrifying and violent climax. If I just saw that, like, summary, just like, here's what... I would be in. I think I would be hooked. Yeah. I'm like, I think I want to see this movie. Yeah, no, I mean, this is like... I mean, some of the best... Uh, I don't know how to put it. I guess the best... Uh, fodder for scariness is being stuck at this big hotel in the middle of nowhere in the midst of winter where you can't escape yeah it's an extroverts nightmare i think introverts could like hang in there a little bit longer introverts would be like heaven (laughs) for a little while maybe and then it would all fall apart so what's your relationship like with the shining like when did you first see it were you a fan when you saw it like or did it your fandom or like do you like this movie Oh, I do. Okay. I like the movie. I, it grew on me because I'm a. I have to be honest. I'm I'm a King fan. Yeah. Okay. And so seeing seeing it torn apart and put back right. together was right. a little bit hard for me. Yeah. That's um, good for me. I was still quite young when I saw it. Yeah. You, you know, it, it was one of those things where any Stephen King adaptation right. that came out, I was there. Yeah. And so uh, I had. It was hard for me to go through it, to be honest. Yeah. It's. It's interesting. Like, I saw the movie the first time probably, my recollection is like sixth, fifth, sixth grade. So, yeah. Maybe early to mid 80s, like 84, 85 was probably when I saw it for the first time. Same for me, probably between that and 86. Yeah, and it really messed me up. But I watched it as a kid just as it was. Like, just like the synopsis, like family in a hotel going mad. Okay. Death. Like, yeah. I, it was just a horror movie for me. It wasn't until probably high school that I was like, there is way, way more going on in this film. And I knew, I technically I knew stuff was going on when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, I don't see things like this. Like, especially the steady cam stuff right. following, like, Danny as he, like, like, all that was like, okay, this is, I 
picked up on those things, but the meanings, the symbolism, the like the the use of those technical things to communicate maybe deeper things, that didn't dawn on me until yeah. high school. And then college, I revisited it again. And I'm like, okay, this is something unique. Dare I say even special. Yeah, high school and, and college, same for me. Yeah, It's when the, we started getting the, hey, there's a deeper meaning. Yeah. The crazy thing is I read the movie so different now. Yeah. Like, I, I think there's, and I, I didn't know when to go here, but maybe this is a good place to, to go where I'm thinking. Okay. The Shining is interesting because of a couple of things now. And when I watched it last week, it sort of dawned on me the light bulb went off. So all the ways I've read the movie before still exist, the uniqueness of it. But I think COVID and our propensity to like follow um, conspiracy theories like QAnon, like... The movie has taken on a very different thing for me. And and it's interesting because there's a, a documentary, and I think it's called Room 327. It is. It, or 237. I can't remember the exact number of the room. It's 237. 237. and 217 in the book. Yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. I, <laughs> I remember they changed it. And so the documentary is like, all of these potential readings. But then when you throw in the world we live in with QAnon and these vast conspiracy theories and like people already saying those things exist in Kubrick's work, I think it just creates a very unique um, stew of how people see things today and how they might read into the movie maybe what's not there um, because they're grasping and reaching for things just like they are in the conspiracy theories they see around them. So that's one. The other is the horror of it is, I mean, there it depends on where you lived. But being isolated, coming out of COVID and watching this movie, it taps into something a little bit it more does. for people. No, I agree 100%. And so when I watched it recently, I, I just was reading it a little bit differently. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Uh, the Shining is still giving me new things and i really like the movie for that reason okay and i struggle a little bit i like it and i love those conspiracy theories and i know they say the more you read conspiracy theories the more likely you are to believe conspiracy theories yeah i think that um stanley's a genius right and i could not be um i i would be surprised if he didn't put some of those things in there uh, that you look at with the Holocaust. It's beautiful. Right. I love it. Right, right. But when I first saw it from that just a little kid watching the horror film that I'd read that was so great, I'm like, yeah. there's so much missing. Yeah, it's interesting. Doing the research for this podcast, I went down the rabbit hole. I knew, <laughs> I knew Stephen King was upset with how things went and he got more vocal as time passed today. He's very, he he, he will express freely his dislike for Kubrick's right. version. Um, I didn't realize how dismissive, disrespectful, um, and, and downright almost disgusting at times Kubrick was toward King, um, about, yeah, uh, I was re- coming across an interview and he, he was, he would half handedly, comment or compliment excuse me compliment yeah it was horrible yeah it was so one of the things he basically said was like you know uh he was trying to so we need to talk about kubrick a little bit probably a lot but kubrick had just made barry linden the the film before that right so it was like uh, 2001, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, Shining. Shining yeah. And so he was looking for, uh, Barry Lyndon wasn't well received uh, financially. Right. Uh, today people gush over it, cinematographers especially. They love it. But. The public at the time was. Yeah, like, they were yeah. just kind of like, eh, and it didn't make, and so he was like, well, I'm just going to make a hit. And so his agent, Publicists, they were giving him all sorts of things. Um, and he, I think he was at one point dabbled, tried to get a hold of The Exorcist, didn't happen. But he was looking at all these horror books and just saying, I, I'm going to make a hit now. And what happened was he got The Shining. And there's actually a story, it's pretty funny. The publicist or, or agent, I don't know who specifically it was being interviewed, but I was reading the, the text of the interview. 
And she said that she would give him a, a book to read that would come in to the office. She would say within 15 minutes she could hear the book hitting the wall. Mm-hmm. He was throwing it. And she said she handed him The Shining and it didn't hit the wall. It was quiet. It was quiet. And yeah. she goes, once it got to two hours, I go, okay, I think I think I know what we're going to be making. And so it's interesting. So he want, he he said it was the only thing ever sent to me that I found good or that I liked. That's a direct quote. Oh, um, so, uh, so he, you know, he grudgingly said this is good, but he in interviews was just so dismissive. Like he he even made comments like King is a very good writer, yeah. which I actually would disagree with. Hundred um, percent. Uh, and you know, so I I just. I would ad- I will admit that Kubrick is a genius, but he w- and we'll talk about I'm sure and how he treated his actors. Well, like, but he's a Dunning Kruger genius because right. there's those genius who just are genius, but then there's people right. who think they're genius. Yeah, and he may be genius in some venues. Yes, but I yes. don't think that when it comes to <laughs> writing, that's necessary. Yeah. Sorry, that's me. I'm getting all no defensive of Stephen King, but right that I mean. The fact that King had option to to write the first um, right. screenplay, so he writes it up, and Kubrick threw the whole thing out. Mm. He didn't mm. take pieces of it. Yeah. He just threw the whole thing out and said, no, we're going to rewrite it ourselves. Yeah. How dismissive is that of yeah. the creator? Yeah. He was he basically took the concept and just made something new. He did. Like, he's like, oh, I like the concept. The framework, yeah. Yeah, framework's good. And he even said that. He goes, like, his plot construction is really good. Like, that's what Kubrick would say. Well, yeah, King is really good. But he says, this direct quote from an interview, I would I would say King's great ability is in plot construction. He doesn't seem to take great care in writing. I mean, the writing seems like if he writes it once, reads it, maybe writes it again and sends it off to the publisher. He seems mostly concerned with invention, which I think he's very clear about. It's just so arrogant and dismissive of a guy that was a really talented writer you know but on this end of the um tunnel you know we're down here now you we we do understand that that might have been yeah. kind of the stephen king cocaine era as well yeah i Fair. think that falls within that continuum you know and yeah. so th- there could be some truth in it too and could be. Could, but even stephen king's second draft is mm-hmm. better than most people's you know fourth or fifth so right and and there's also just the just be nice. Oh yeah, all those. You know, and there's just, just the you just like made it you doesn't millions, and you're calling him in. Yeah, and yeah. just like like you can believe that it doesn't help anyone to say that. Like like yeah, believe it. That's fine. Just keep that to yourself. Like like you don't need to like put it in an interview. Play so, nice. Yeah, yeah just play you. nice. You. you know. Um. <laughs> so King, of course. Wow. Uh, over the years, he has said a great deal about Kubrick. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, uh, yeah. Here's what one of his quotes. He says, basically, the movie that Kubrick made has no heart. There's no center to the picture. I wrote the book as a tragedy. And if it was a tragedy, it was because all the people loved each other. Here, it seems there's no tragedy because there's nothing to be lost. Did you do you agree with where King's coming from? I get where he's coming from, right. but I I think that the, um you know it's kind of that Jack versus that John Daniel because yeah. in the book he's John Daniel and right. he loves and it goes more into the alcoholism aspect of it. He's trying to right. dull, dull the shining that he has, you know, and it doesn't come off as clear. Yeah. I mean, again. Kubrick read the work and he was adapting. It's just when you understand the characters more thoroughly, right. then you understand that there's they don't go to the backstory very well either. Right, right. Yeah, I would agree. I <sighs> you only have a certain amount of time. You know what I mean? I get that. Yeah. It's a film yeah. and you're getting a slice. So it's like with audio, when you cut off the lows and the highs, you can still understand what's going on, right. but there's not the depth of enjoyment. Right. I would say that it's a very good film. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite horror films. Sure, sure. But I would say the lows and the highs are cut off just because some of it is, I think, purposeful. Right. And some of it, I think, is just you can't encapsulate a novel like that in a film. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Like, 
when you think about the psychology of this and what King is saying, yeah, King has said like Jack and his book is him. Right. Of course, King was dealing with alcoholism. He was a writer. He had been a school teacher. All the things that um, Jack is in this novel. And so I think what Stephen King might be doing is he sees this movie that Kubrick's making. He's like, well, that's me. And like the Jack Nicholson version of Jack in The Shining, I don't find him really super kind, redeemable, likable at, at all. He's the abuser in the movie versus yeah. he's the... Being the he's, tormented, he's already bad. Yeah, like he's already bad from the get. Yeah, and so I could see where King's like, no, like it's kind of me, you know. And and he's I think he even wanted. Yeah. He was even looking at other. I think he had an idea of other people to be cast in in that role, not Jack Nicholson, because I think Jack Nicholson had made One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He would. He was already kind of established as either like kind of an unsavory character in his films. Or crazy, and and so uh, he was all, and so I think Stephen King was like, I wouldn't have cat. I think he was like looking at Chris Christopherson at one moment. Uh, there, there was another actor that was that was much more benign. Where you're like, okay, yeah, I could see being a little bit, yeah, a little softer, and then the the fall would be greater. There's someone likable completely falling apart, but Kubrick goes a whole different way, and. I'm curious before we really dig into some of the deeper questions. What what do you think? Like, what's your overall view of Kubrick? Because he he didn't make a ton of films, right? But everything he made was pretty amazing. So he made um, movies like The Killing, Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Lolita. Then he starts to get a little bit more control. He makes Doctor Strange love control of his work. 2001 A Space Odyssey, A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and then Eyes Wide Shut. Um, Full Metal Jacket is one of the best war films of all time. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Pyle is an yeah. incredible character. Yeah. it's. I saw in the theater with my father, Vietnam vet, and it's one of the more memorable movie-going experiences I oh, think I've ever had. I remember leaving that not feeling good at all. Oh, yeah. And it was in an age where I think Platoon was the year before, and so these Vietnam films, um, the, the Hamburger Hill was around that time. Like, there was nothing heroic really going on in these war films. And when you grow up on, the like, the John Wayne war films, and then all of a sudden you have this, like, as you're moving into adolescence, these, like... Oh, there's this movie called Apocalypse Now. Oh, there's this movie called Platoon. Oh, there's this movie called Hamburger Hill. Oh, there's this movie called Full Metal Jacket. It really shapes your view of war. And I would agree. I think it is one of the best anti-war movies, anti-war war movies I've seen. Um, and there's some other ideas going on in Full Metal Jacket. But, like, even Eyes Wide Shut, which a lot of people aren't very high on, there's stuff going on in his films that are worth considering thinking about. That's um, never not... Uh, well, the the way that I always talk about this is kind of how I talk about music. Right. There are musicians, yeah. and there are performance artists. And right, sometimes right, right. there's an amalgamation of both. Right. But um, performance artists, no one can sing their songs. They're not going to be covers because the way they do it is what's cool. Right. Whereas musicians... People, everybody covers their songs because yeah, their yeah. music is incredible. <laughs> I would say that there is so much that has been copied mm. in other filmmakers. I would, yeah. if I'm doing this, he's, I, I wouldn't want to offend him, but he's a musician when it comes to right. creation of film. Right. He's creating stuff that other people are emulating and want, and it has lent yeah. to the community hugely. Um, I, I wouldn't call him a performance artist. I just couldn't right, do it. Right. Yeah, I, Kubrick is. I look at listen to the work you just talked about. Yeah, Sorry, I know. I'm not meaning to. No, off, go ahead. But look at how these films have. I mean, created. Yeah, they're so incredibly. They're like a bomb. They go yeah. off, and then everybody around them starts emulating them, and it changes culture <laughs> so as just, far as film is. I mean, just the the run of from 2001 on. We're really yeah. Doctor Strangelove on, but like 2001. Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, Dang. The Shining, it's crazy. Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut. 
Yeah, that run is just, it's so influential. And I think for me, his technical prowess is just so evident. He just does things in his movies that visually, even if I wasn't hearing the dialogue, the music, the sound effects, which are very important, and I was just looking at the visual construction of what he's doing, I'm captivated. Yeah. Even a, a film that a lot of people would say is boring, like Barry Lyndon, there's visually things going on in terms of the technical side of filmmaking that are so unbelievable. See, I need to watch something like Barry Lyndon with you because yeah. that's not my wheelhouse. I yeah. get, I mean, in The Shining, that opening scene with the helicopter scene yeah. that had never been done before, yeah. it already set me off watching it. I was just like, something's weird here. Right. This beautiful, amazing driving up that road, and you're just yeah. like, wait a minute. But it gives you that distance, and oh, we're out in the boonies here. This is not just like, and for me, growing up, right? You know, we were in the boonies, but there was a city half an hour away. This was like really the boonies. Yeah, there's that. He uses the the camera to make you feel things that he wants you to feel better than most filmmakers. And setting, like you said, this this helicopter shot going up the, into the mountains is letting you know how isolated you're yeah. going to feel. And he does things throughout. There's there's a moment where he does a... Um, he does a, a... It's like a, you call it a snap zoom. It's when, you know, Danny's in the rooms when he sees the twins for the first time. And it's not the big will scene. It's a scene earlier where right. he's getting the tour and he's like off by himself. And it's like... You know, it's on him. He turns. You see what he's terrified about. And then Kubrick zooms in real fast on him. And it's just this little, like, we're like, please show us what he's seeing. And that's one of the things Kubrick does is he won't give you what you expect in the horror genre or really any genre. He doesn't give you what you – even the music. Like, it's just so – and we'll get to this in your question later, but it's like – he just does things that are so not what you're expecting. And technically, he, he has that snap zoom. He even does this moment where it's playing off Danny, where Danny, and by the way, the kid's amazing in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, but Danny kind of looks, and they'll, he'll, he did, I think it's in the same sequence, he does this whip pan where he quickly, almost causes a blur when you pan the camera to where the twins are. And it's just like shocking and just like, but he's doing things that all filmmakers can do, but he just employs them in unique ways. And then, of course, you have the Steadicam, which was technology that was new. Like it was just being developed and he uses it so amazingly. Yeah, I mean, what Danny on the trike and Mm -hmm. all of those things or the, um, the stair scene. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, just so – and stuff yeah. that when I first saw it, you felt the beauty of it and also the creepiness of it because you hadn't seen it before. Right. It's, we're, we're stepping into the film more than we've been able to before. Yeah. and I it, love that. It's really like he's so talented in saying all that. He's like the other great American uh, – I know Kubrick moved to – England, I think of it as an American filmmaker, but like the other great American filmmaker that's taking on fame around this time is, is Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And I find Steven Spielberg way more accessible emotionally, where I find Kubrick super distant. Um, for me personally, um, I, I agree. Of course, the knock on, you know, Spielberg is that he's melodramatic, you know, in the ending, in the third acts of his films. But people would might on the other side say, well, Kubrick's just too distant. He isn't connecting with his audience. And so I find those interesting thoughts. I don't necessarily... But I find Spielberg more accessible for me than I do. There's a distance I always feel when I watch a Kubrick film, even though I like them a lot. <laughs> if you want to talk about the archetypal... Mm-hmm. Um, the use of archetypes between the two... right. I mean, uh, that hero epic is just right on cue. In fact, when I taught, uh, I taught middle schoolers. We had an elective that was um, walking through Campbell's hero epic using, uh, like, film and comics. Yeah. And so all we did, and the last thing we did, you would have loved it, is um, they had to use major characters, and we built a tabletop game. Oh, that's cool. Using the hero epic. Yeah. It's fantastic. That's cool. But 
part of walking through I used uh, episode four yeah as a, an example Such, of yeah. and and I I used two films I used uh, the uh, episode four and then I used Lion King mm. and yeah. both of them beautifully do right. that you know going from chaos it taps from, into something that's been going on for millennia across cultures and so. Yeah. He, Oh, the, it's not melodramatic. It's the story of our lives, and right. we all want to be that hero right. who comes out of that cave of death and yeah. you know survives back into order out of right. chaos. Right. All of that, and so it's really beautiful. But on the other hand, I think what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is Kubrick doesn't give us that ever. It, <laughs> I don't think he ever has. The hero doesn't. I mean, even though Danny survives this, yeah. and and you know, there's that. Johnny Jack is like frozen and dead yeah. in the maze. He doesn't survive. He's so traumatized. Yeah, and and there's, just you go through all of his characters. They're the characters that survive are shaped by horrible events. <laughs> like it, it's, it's by evil. Like it's it's clockwork orange. Oh, yeah, the drugs. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just. But it's like it's interesting. It's like he keeps going back to this theme in his films of just like us warring with our own nature and like it, or our own. Maybe I should say it. Our own propensity to do evil things and he has these people on the verge of madness all the time and you know you have the famous Kubrick stare where where they're going to these dark dark places and he's fascinated with this this keeps showing up in his movies over and over again there's a musician out right now that's interesting to me his call, he's named Ren he's British oh, have you seen any no, of this no. um, he has a song called Hyren where he talks about and it reminds me a lot of Kubrick in this yeah. because he's talking about on one side He's talking to himself. Right. And right. this whole song is him. He, it's very interesting. Huh. He comes out in a wheelchair. Oh, wow. The person pushing him is has blood all over their apron, and they're wearing a pig face, and he's in a wow. backless gown. But his music is interesting. It's like kind what, of got his 21 Pilots kind okay. of feel, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's also mixed with some of that angst from the grunge era, which yeah. hits me in the heart. Yeah. But in this one, he's talking about how... Um, I mean, he, he goes on one side to call himself Satan, Metastopheles, all this kind of stuff. But then on the other hand, he calls himself Hope. And wow. so I, when you get a chance, you got to watch it. Okay. Uh, maybe we could uh, plug Ren. He's, okay. one, he's one of the new ones. Yeah. There's also a 21 Pilots feel to it where there's some authenticity there. Right. Uh, he's he's very melodramatic. Yeah. But it's yeah. just talking about melodramatic uh, things. He's very beautiful, though. It's kind of this thing, though. And you don't feel like you win at the end. He yeah. he talks about how he's learned it's a balance. Right. It's right. not a battle. When you relax, then you can. But notice right. in Kubrick's work, those main characters can't relax, and the more rigid they become, the more hard the situations become. Wow. Look at Jack. Yeah. Right. The harder he tries to hold on, the more he loses it. it loses. The his... red bathroom is one of the best scenes. Yeah. When he's talking to, I've always been here. Yeah. That's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, the descent into madness. It, it's just, there's so much. There, That is a very layered scene. There's so many great things going on in that. And just chilling. Yeah. Like, where, like, the kill your family without really saying go kill your family. You know, like, it's interesting. Like, you know, the, the, the other caretaker is like, you know, I've, Dealt with my children and yeah. my wife. I, you know, put them in their place. It, like you need to put your family in their place. You know, but there's the whole line where he's like, Danny. I don't know if you realize this, but Danny has special powers. Like in like he's going to use them against us. That idea. Yeah, it's interesting. There's so much going on in The Shining, but the idea that the the hotel is really threatened by Danny. I, I love that and Flanagan. Deals with that in, in Dr. Sleep, and then, of course, the novel does with that Dr. Sleep so well. It's just like this, who Danny is, is, is someone that can shine. The only thing that is a challenge for me is the difference. Right. It's so much, it's, Dr. Sleep, the novel, that ending is so much better than, right. because what they had, what had to happen in the film adaptation was they had to do what King did in the book. Right, right. At the end, of, still good. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. 
Well, and, and speaking of Dr. Sleep, for patrons, we're doing a special, like, Dr. Sleep episode just right after this. So, uh, for our patrons, like, just keep listening at the end of the show, and we'll, after a few moments, we'll fold right into Dr. Sleep and do a little special conversation about Dr. Sleep. You can just go to patreon.com, living in the past, to find that. Um, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll ask our three big questions. Three big questions. Three, two, one. All right, three big questions. So, go. Jeff, the first question's yours, so I'll let you ask it. And and I'm really curious where this conversation will go because our three okay. big questions really seem to like fold into each other when discussing The Shining. Yeah, I, I thanks for letting me go first because I think that I think all of us notice something here. Right. Um, my question is, is the deliberate use of visual dissonance um, by Kubrick an essential and intentional element in his storytelling? Yeah. Uh, and when I say storytelling, I'm really saying retelling yeah. of the narrative of the Overlook Hotel, because this is really the story of the hotel. Right, right. And he changes it towards the story of the family, I think. Mm, interesting. Um, so, so give me an example of what you mean. This visual dissonance. Okay, like, so, so you you alluded to it earlier when right. um, when Danny's riding his trike and he's making all these turns, and when you actually look at the turns, the you know this is interdimensional travel because the floor space just doesn't work out. Right. Um, when there are moments, he did this a couple times, like with the dopey sticker. Yeah. Um, that was there at one moment in Danny's room, and then it wasn't there the next moment. Right, right. Uh, he did it with the chair in that scene in the yeah. um, when he's typing, and you're there, and then all of a sudden, if you're not paying attention, it's not there. The chair right. is gone. Uh, I mean, there, there's, there's a ton of different yeah. ways that he went through to purposefully make it so there was this weird background dissonance in the film where even if you're not paying attention to it, you're not seeing these things, um, it's setting this this world off. There's something wrong here. Right, and right. it kind of adds to the idea of madness. Mm. Yeah, I I think, you know, your question is like, what, is it an essential and intentional element of, story, of his storytelling? Like, I would even go so far as there's a sonic dissonance going on. Um, so, like... When you think of The Shining, it's like there is, or when you think of a horror movie, there is certain ways that you employ the music, right? And he has, and it was funny, I was watching this with my son and my, I think my middle kid, I can't remember, it was two of my kids, two of my three were watching it, and my son said at one point, why is this scary music being played when nothing is happening? And, and and I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I, and then I started really paying attention to the music because I was so used to seeing it over and over and over again. And <clears throat> he uses this music, and it's you know you you would expect like a like a jab with the music when something exciting happens or there's a bit, and some of that does happen. But there are moments where the music is just playing this creepy music where, where what's going on on the screen is is not evocative of like fear right good point and so like i think that dissonance is happening there i think visually the other thing i would point out just like in agreement with kind of like this idea that it's pretty essential to what he's trying to do is when i think of horror films almost all of it happens in the dark and there is no mm-hmm. darkness in The Shining. It's all well-lit hallways. That's Every- a comment that I've read often, too, yeah. where it's like, this is the brightest lit horror movie. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, there's one other that's so amazing. It's when he, just initially, when Jack's going in for the interview. Right. And you see that he walks down the hallway and into the office. But when you go into the office, it's got a window to the outdoors there. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful. It's nature. It's yeah, lovely. Yeah. But wait a minute. That's the hallway next to the elevator. That should just be a wall. Right, right. There's all these things where, like you're saying, it doesn't necessarily have to be 
like uh, at the end in the maze where it's the same mm. sound as the wheels on the floor, which right. only you know cranked up yeah. with the bottom cut out, so it's just that screechy sound. Yeah, amazing, great use because it right. also gives you that auditory memory back to that scary scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think yeah, there's something to be said, and that's the genius I think of Kubrick is it doesn't have right. to be jump scares in darkness to right. be really offsetting. There is something pretty terrifying when you can be when imagery can evoke terror in the light. Because there it almost seems like you have nowhere to go at that point. It's like you when you're in the darkness you want to escape to the light to be safe. But he's he's scaring you in the light. There's something visceral about it. Yeah. Because we we as you know animal mm-hmm. are afraid of the dark. That's right. why we right. have fire, and that's why. We, and so if yeah. you can make me feel that terror when the fire is next to me, then yeah. you're stealing something important. It's some pretty heavy lifting going that's on. Good. Like he's he's doing a lot visually in well lit like locations and evoking fear of audience. And I'm like, not many filmmakers can do anything like that. No, I agree. And so he's, he's, he's doing all the things that you just, frankly, you just don't expect to see in a film like this. So is it more psychological thriller than horror? Maybe. Or does it have to be? Can it have its own label? Is it a, just a great mixture of the two? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people, when they would say horror, they might think, well, murder, 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 like death, 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 death. There is there is never release because no one really dies until Scatman's character dies um, with the axe to the chest. Right? Oh, He's, when Dick gets killed at, when yeah. he comes in. Yeah. yeah. And, and, again, not even true to the novel. Right, it right. bothers me because because yeah. no one dies in the novel, right? Except Jack at the Jack end. at the end. Yeah, yeah. When, the, when the the boiler room. explodes. Yeah. yeah, but the yeah, I mean, having him freeze in the maze is beautiful and wonderful. I right. love that. Right. But and then uh, we'll talk about it. It's just interesting. Like with horror, there's always that. Like if I think of like we just recently did Friday the Thirteenth. Like there's that like build up the tension, release with the murder. Okay. Got a few minutes. There's build up more. the tension. There's a ton release, of blood. Right? Yeah, there's all of this. That's and, missing. and this is just psychological in mm-hmm. a sense because you're just like, you're just kind of tense the whole time waiting for that release. Um, and it doesn't really come. Even after, you know, there is a death in the movie, it just amps up more tension, which yeah. is, I, I would assume, I'm not like a profound expert on the horror genre, but, but I would assume that like, that's pretty rare it is. to sustain that for that I was long. thinking about that when you were just saying that, and I'm thinking of um, there was one film back in the uh, mid-'80s where um, the whole thing – oh, no, it's Jacob's Ladder. Oh, yeah. yeah. That has a very similar feel to right. this. Only Jacob's Ladder has such uh, – it's not, it's not the horror. I'd say that psychological thriller right. and then drama – Right. versus psychological thriller and horror. I, yeah. I, but it has that same feel because right. it has that um, surreal piece to it. Right, right. Going back to the heart of the question. Sorry. No, I think... I, I think it's good. I, I think... How do I even put this? Um, because there's this dissonance in the film, visually, sonically, like however... Like, it makes you feel like you're never safe because you don't know if where you're at's real or it's yeah. moving, it's changing, it's not. It, it there, it's almost this departure from reality. But we we do get a feel that Danny and Wendy are in reality. Jack is sort of slipping out of it. Like it's, but like the people we want Danny to get out. Like it, it's clear. Like as an audience, Kubrick is wanting us to sort of root for Danny. Just as a child, but also as a special child. And the big change with Danny as psychic child and yeah. Jack as madman. Yeah. That's part, to an earlier question, that's kind of what takes away mm-hmm. the the um, the tragedy of it all. Right, because right, right, right. Danny's a battery in the King novel right. and Jack is just possessed by 
the hotel. Right. He's not. He's not a madman like you see in this. Right. I mean, at the end, you kind of see with him in the picture and everything. Oh, he's been a part of this. Right. And right. so you kind of get that feel at the end. But while you're in the moment, he's just a crazy dude with an axe. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. Well, here I think it, it's good to transition to like this next question. Yeah, I think it is too. Actually, because I think we have to ask it at some point. Um, and and so the when thinking of The Shining. I've heard people really recently, I never heard this when I was a kid in college, high school. I didn't really hear this, but it it started to come up recently. And the the question is simple. Is this movie kind of overrated? Is The Shining an overrated film? Is it um, not really as great as everyone is making it out to be? And that'll lead into our third question, I think. But... But on on a surface level, is it overrated? Would you agree with someone that would be pushing on that, or would you say, well, hold on, like it's not overrated at all. Here is why it's not. Uh, I think it's that it's we talk about this all the time. It's negotiation with the film. Right. What are you, what are you trying to? In what aspect are you saying this right. isn't the best? Because right. I I would say that it it hits a lot of sweet spots. Right. I, it just right. does. Yeah, it does. Visually. Yeah. And I mean, also, you have to go, it's of its time. So we're sure. not, we're talking about the 80s here, right? Yeah. So he was doing the stuff with cinematography that had never been done. So technically, it ain't overrated. Technically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. The yeah, story is pretty captivating. It's um, king, and even yeah. though it's king, I'd say, I'd call it secondhand king. Sorry. Yeah. Right. No, I think you're right. It's still king, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I have a hard time with this one saying it's underrated. I can't really do it. I think yeah. he I think he left too much um at the end. Yeah, I mean maybe. I too much meat left on the bone if you ask me. I think why people might think it's overrated is that idea of and this is really the third question that we have in our three big questions is like um is he just being mysterious for myst- like not giving us answers, being um, unclear, and just for the sake of being unclear? Is he really saying anything, or is he just putting images in a way to just make us like kind of bask in the mystery? And when someone wants to look, and I'm not saying I agree with this at all, but I've heard this argument when someone wants to look a little bit smarter than they are, they create these mysteries that you can like hide behind and, and have people, well, maybe it means this. Well, look at this. You know, it's like, goes back to that documentary, like where it's like, well, some people read like he's wearing a, a Apollo 11, like, like sweater, you know, right. And so, so he was behind the moon, like landing or, you know, oh, it's like, like, oh, well, what about this image or what about the pattern in the carpet or what about, and everyone has all these, like they're reading into it, which is, we love to do this as a culture. But I, I've heard people say it's overrated because he's not really even really saying anything. He's just creating all these mysteries and he's hiding behind it. I don't agree with that. I think he absolutely knew what he was doing. If you look at any of the behind the scenes stuff, if you look at like all but the yeah. way he treated his actors and actresses. I want to get to that. Okay. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. No, I think that that's one thing, especially with like who was it, Duval? Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. being so exhausted that's a departure from the book that right. changes the narrative significantly right right um i don't know nickel Nick, uh, nicholson hasn't talked about it very much Mm-mm. i and not that i've read yeah yeah but that th- they would do i mean uh what's the guy's name that played dick Halloran? Uh, Scatman, yeah, Scat, uh, I, I can't remember his last he name. He spoke a lot about how much he disliked and how tired they were and how... Because it was yeah. Guinness Book of World Records here. Hundreds right. and hundreds of takes, right? Right. Scat, Scatman Crothers played, Crothers, played, played Dick. Yeah, yeah. he... Um, I saw like the, the, the making of where he breaks down crying about how meaningful this 
this process was, but it, it was obvious he was exhausted from the one million takes he had to do. Oh and that that's one of the things about the film is that, and Kubrick did this a lot, where he would just go take after take after take. I think the stairway sequence is like over 150 takes. That's what they were saying. And, and just you're losing your sanity as you're doing this over and over. And Kubrick is definitely trying to manipulate and control. You see the behind-the-scenes thing that was filmed by Kubrick's daughter, and... Like, Duvall is treated so poorly and manipulated and mistreated. And it was this control. It, it's almost like Kubrick is trying to be Jack. Oh, interesting. Like, he's... he's um, he is, instead of trying to be John, right. Daniel, you know? Yeah. So, where King is one, he's the other. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's I doing... I thought about that. He, he's, you know... It's in, you watch the behind the scenes thing. He's like typing on the typewriter, mm-hmm. like it, you know. You think, well, he's writing. I'll work it, but no play, right? He's constantly writing on script. In fact, Jack Nicholson's like, I don't even read the script because it's new every day, you know. Um, but then just <laughs> this, this like growing madness over time, and just like the the way he treats Duvall is is honestly just kind of disgusting and hugely disgusting. And it's like, do you really need to? Because there's great actors that don't need to go method to to reach great performances, like to find those places. And so, I'm so conflicted when it comes to Kubrick. I think he's does brilliant things as a filmmaker. I think his process is deeply flawed. So it's the you're down to the do the ends justify the means kind yeah, of question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and that, obviously I don't know everything about every film, right? right. I, and, and no one's perfect. Everybody has their their faults. But it's like when you see this and you realize how much damage someone like Duval received. And and like Scatman Crothers, he went on and made a Clint Eastwood film after this. And right. there's a it's a um, apocryphal story, but I, I've heard people say this happened. Eastwood was is known as a director to do things in one take. I go, that's good. Maybe two. And Morgan Freeman has been on the record saying, I love, my favorite director to work with is Clint Eastwood. He okay. trusts his actors. He gives us space. He, he says, this is what we're going to do. Um, I trust you to interpret how you need to interpret as an actor. I believe in you as an actor. It's why you've been hired. Let's go do it. One take. Great. That was good. Let's move on. And so when when Scatman did his scene, his one of his first scenes, East was like, that's great, let's, let's go on. He broke down in tears yeah. on the set. Because he was, he, the film he had made before so that was this. So traumatized by what had happened before. Yeah. Like, <sighs> like, and so, is The Shining overrated? And and I would say, no, but, but there's such, to reach this place of greatness that they reached, they did some, Kubrick did some things that I'm just like, Eesh. like, I'm not... I don't want to delight. I don't want to delight in The Shining because of the things I know about how it was made. And no, so I'm constantly sense. wrestling with that. That and this happens with a lot of art. Like the artist being not so great of a person, but what do we do with the art that we we kind of love. appreciate and love, right? And it's this this tension that it really exists for me with The Shining because I have some knowledge of how it was made. Right. You know. So I don't know. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? Right. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. So you would land on, though, not overrated. I would say the film is not overrated. Um, I would say that if you are saying it's a beautiful, if the process was beautiful to make this art, then you probably are like someone who are a proponent of eugenics or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You might have a tattoo or two that you shouldn't have. You know, it's that kind of a thing. Yeah. I have to agree with you 100% on that. Jeremy, that, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So. So unethical. Yeah, it is unethical. It really is. In the 80s. In, it's in not that long ago. Yeah. Like, they were filming in, like, 79, 78. Yeah. True. So, it's like, you know, it's, it's, they knew better. Like, they should have known better. He knew better. I Yeah, and I think he just wanted, he wanted certain he wanted to take people to certain places because he could believe that's, I, I would assume that's where he thought the truth of whatever it was they were trying to get at, that's where it existed. But is this a commentary on him or is this a commentary on 
where people could have a political or mm, whatever um, persona, but then actually just be like, I'm going to get mine and do what I want. Is this like yeah, a, maybe both? Is like, this like a pre Epstein kind of thing? Oh gosh! Sorry. Too soon? Yeah. No. No. Okay, okay. Uh, appropriate, probably. So, all right. So, our third question okay. that I think it continues on in some ways um, with what we're talking about, and this comes to us from one of our our, our people. Devin wrote, wrote this question. He says, "What is a sign of a better film?" One that answers all the questions or one that leaves things unanswered? Are films that leave things unanswered brilliant um, and existential or are they cop-outs? Which is more satisfying to you? And this goes into that overrated, like, is he just hiding behind the mystery or is he, is there really, he purposefully says, I'm not going to just spoon feed my audience. Like it's there. Yeah, I'm not going to spoon feed this you. Is a, yeah, it's a great question. I think that um, when you look at episode nine of Star Wars <laughs> and yeah. every question that could potentially be, you know, left out the, the for tie canon, the bow. Yeah. yeah. Chewie gets a medal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's too much. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the bad side of that's it. That's the whole other side of things, right? We're talking about our pendulum swing. This is the pendulum to the far one side. Right. I don't think this movie, I don't think The Shining is the pendulum all the way to the other side. No, because you have, like, the Star Wars thing. Then you have, people get mad at me, I, I, I'm sorry. No, I'm excited. But then you have the other side, which is Lost. Where, where like, like where it's like, oh, we're just not going to answer these questions because we don't. But Abrams does that. <laughs> he does a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think The Shining, I think the creator behind it, knows the answers to the questions he's posing and he's posing them and there's visual even their dialogue hints at what he believes yeah. and what he thinks um but he's not um he doesn't have like a chalkboard and he's like this is how i want you to think about this question i've posed within this story i i don't see and he doesn't really do that i'm thinking through his filmography there's not X's and O's. It's not like that. Yeah, I I don't see him doing this if he if he does if he does spell it out for us. I don't see him doing it often. Yeah, I don't either. And so um, for and Kubrick's like in light of this question, thinking of Kubrick, he's a brilliant filmmaker. I think that's clear. And I think part of his brilliance is that he's ask he wants us to do a little work as a viewer to try to get at some of these things he's posing to us. And 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 I think he's okay with that. And I think, because see here, I don't want to go conspiracy theorist on you, but go conspiracy with, theorist. But, but with all the potential, yeah. Like you talked about the moon landing. We've talked about <laughs> yes, yes. We we. I mean, some of them are pretty far out there. Right, but we've right. talked about the abuse. We've talked just briefly right. uh, about the genocide of the native peoples. That blood in the right. Built at the very beginning, they talk about it. It's built on yeah. A, Native burial site, which was a thing in the movies. Like I think Poltergeist is on like a yep. like that was a thing in the early eighties. Like it shows up in yeah several films. So yeah, I, I just think that um, what else was there? The the Holocaust was mm -hmm. part of this. There's all these things. I think that all of these terrible things that humanity has done that have this um, taking advantage mm -hmm. of whether it's a people group or a person that child mm -hmm. abuse or whatever it is. Um, I think that he leaves it open so that we can look at those things that are the worst of us and wrestle with that horror right. maybe a little bit. Right. I'm not trying to go too deep with this, but I think he's bright enough that we've, he, he gave us this um, package that we right. can unwrap that we're right. like, wait a minute, what does it mean? Right, right. And so we go to the worst of us. But I think it's the same thing. He kind of was the worst of us in mm -hmm. order to get there with some of his practices. Right. And so you, we're being uncomfortable for more than one reason, but it's the same reason, I think. Right. I don't know. Is no, I too, think you're on the – no, I think you're on the right track. And that's the – you know, we've done all types of movies on living in the past. <laughs> like we have our very like B-movie, surfacey, but just enjoyable – 
garbage, you know? Um, but then we have films like The Shining, which, you know, even on my rewatch recently, and I said it earlier in the podcast, like, I'm still, like, unpacking it, and I'm reading it differently in light of my life experiences that I've had recently, you know, whether right. it's seeing a lot of people holding on to different types of conspiracy theories and then thinking about all the conspiracies that pop up because of The Shining, hmm. uh, but then also just the ideas of isolation and the horror that isolation can bring. When it, and, we and then, didn't really get a chance to unwrap that today, but that's a big one, I think. It yeah. really taps into a cultural new right. landmark, you know? Right, it's funny. It's like um, I think it, I think he starts to lose it after like a few weeks, maybe a month, and I'm like, "Come on, you that ain't you have got nothing on the people in California who have been like who were like isolated for for a year, right? Um, or in other places in the world. Um, the South is great though. They were like, "What? What? what pandemic? Hey, <laughs> Um, but you know, it's interesting just those elements of horror the, that you see in the in The Shining that I'm still wrestling with, and almost reading differently as I get older and have more right. life experiences. And I think that's a sign of art that is worth keeping around and valuing, um, and and interacting with. It's when it can still stimulate your mind, even if, even if you've seen it like seven or eight times. I think I've seen The Shining eight eight times. And it still provokes me in new ways almost every time. And I think one of the ways is, and we haven't even talked about this, but we have talked. We've talked about the abuse angle. And I think one thing as parents, there is this fear, especially in men, that when you first become a father, yeah. there is this terrible fear. Like I hope I don't screw up my kid. I hope I don't hurt them verbally, physically. Right. Um, I want to be perfect and treat them as perfectly as I can. And we realize we can't pull it off. Like we make mistakes. We say things we don't want to. We And and so there's that the shining is kind of dealing when I that idea that he jerked Danny up and really hurt him. I'm like, that guy sucks. But also like it's tapping into a fear in men, I think. Um, and maybe yeah, women too. I'm just speaking as a man. But no, like, I think it's true. But it's like there's always that for fathers. I think we all deal with this. Like, I need to be sure that I'm a good dad. And when we watch someone failing, we've worried. Like we've been scared that we might fail too. And we're like, oh crap! Like I know that fear. It's deep in me. And and here he is, like spiraling out of control. And you know, there's that moment where Danny gets hurt. And it's the hotel that hurts him. But Wendy accuses Jack of, of doing it, and he just starts spiraling. Jack so, is the lady in 237. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you're looking at it from Danny's point of view, right, he's, right. he's the epitome of what he wants to become, but then he becomes the violator as well. Yeah, that, yeah. Like, he becomes the desiccated yeah. Ugh, yeah. zombie thing. Yeah, right. No. Yeah, I, I, that's that's an inter- I never thought of it specifically from the audience point of view. Right. It's it's fascinating that's just cool. the tapping into those fears. Um, so we so we, it is horror. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and psychological theory. Yeah, 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 it's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. So we did tons of research and we read a lot for this podcast. What have we not talked about that you really want to talk about? Um, I, I think the, the, the big thing for me in this, I can't, we've already talked about it. It's the differences. I think that King's, Hmm. one of the things that I think was so cool was the hedge, the hedge maze. Yeah. Yeah. That's not in the book. It's not. It, It was like living, um, topiaries, animals and, and statuary that come right. after him at the end and right. who doesn't translate well right right well, or maybe it would have but, right but i think that the maze that and, was a good decision and again we have the child the abused right. or however you want to look at it right using their brain just like we talked about with ripley yeah in alien the powerless one in becomes, the current becomes the one who outsmarts right. the 
the one who is in power, whether it's the alien or whether yeah, it's... Yeah, and, and there's even, like... I think that's kind of cool. The other thing that, like, jumps out at me, I think that's cool, and I think, like, Scatman coming back, you know, um, Halloran is his name, mm-hmm. when he comes back, it's not, like, the tropey hero moment, but he really does save Danny. Like, he yeah. distracts Jack enough to where Danny can get away and get into the maze. And, right, so there's that Jack is pulled to, you know, because he's, like, like almost to the point where he's going to get him. Yeah, and, oh, he is. And, you know, Halloran shows up. And so I, I found that interesting. It's, like, that character is interesting. It's almost like this little, like, flawed bright spot in the film. Like, because, you know, he's, like, laying around in Miami. He has all the naked women up everywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, like, oh, this guy, like, he's, he's a little freaky, well, and you then, know? And then, <laughs> and then Black Jesus shows up. Right. Right. Yeah, and he saves, he I mean. Saves, he saves all. He saves yeah. both Danny and Mom, you know? But he but, doesn't die in the book. He's horribly injured. Right. And so, but survives. Yeah. And so then becomes more of a mentor down the road because this whole shining thing isn't just yeah. I'm a psychic kid. Everybody shines in the book. Right, it's, right. It's like a hierarchy of shining versus yeah. there's just psychic people in the world, which is what he and yeah. Dick kind of talk about in the kitchen there. Yeah. Uh, but the knives over his head in the kitchen was foreshadowed. There's so many. Yeah. There's Sorry, s- we could stuff. go on for an hours yeah. and hours on this. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll do There Can Be Only One. There can be only one. All right, so there can be only one. What is the single best thing about The Shining? It could be a scene, theme, character. It could be a shot, music. What do you love the most about The Shining? I love the Overlook. Oh, wow. I didn't expect you to say that. Yeah, no. I mean, not only are we talking about a place, but we're talking about an idea. And when you think of the... The name itself, Overlook. Is it someone that's mm. like, is this place looming over them, or yeah. is it somewhat? Is it trying to take care of them? Right, right. Um, I think that, I think that just the cinematography too. You come in at first and you're looking at the Overlook. It's kind of very mm. meta if you want to go yeah. there, but it's just kind of the cool thing. I think that the hotel itself, even though it doesn't, I don't think it gets the star. Um, placement that it should have, and you know, right. it should be that major right. diadem in the crown. I think, but it doesn't yeah. get that. I still think in the film it does. Uh, Kubrick does a great job of making us feel so, like you said, it could be the sounds that are heard in there. It could be right. um, the geography that's impossible. It could be right, right. Uh, these things that uh, the overlook, the you know, blood coming down the hallway or. Right. All of these characters that are part and parcel of the Overlook. Yeah, now. yeah. I just think star of the show. That's great. Yeah, I, I saw. I'm going to cheat just a little bit. Okay, cheat. I have an honorable mention huh. that is brand new, and it came huh. about with my viewing this past week, and that is um, Shelley Duvall's performance. Um, I, I think. Um, I used to say she just whines mm-hmm. and she just and it might I might be I, it's an honorable mention I might be my opinion might be flavored by watching like the making of stuff and saying wow she was treated horribly but when I when I watched it I felt like there was an honesty in what she was doing like a lot of people like attack her and just say she was blubbering the whole time but I'm like yeah, she was crying because most people would. I think people didn't like her performance because it's probably what they would have freaking done in that situation. <laughs> like, and they're like, no, oh, we expect so we expect the woman to do this or the character to do this. Right, right. She cries a lot because her life is falling apart, her marriage is falling apart, her son's in trouble. Yet she heroically protects her son. She confronts someone losing their mind who has already been abusive, but is now going to a place to want to murder. And she confronts that. She gets Danny out of the bathroom. Like, she does so many things. And, like, there are key scenes. For example, all work and no play make jacket. That revelation moment, her acting and, like, seeing that. it's very good. You're right. It's so powerful. And I think if you take... 
can't believe I would say this, but if you take Shelley Duvall out of it, I know Jack Nicholson is the star in a lot of ways. If Kubrick isn't the star, it's Jack Nicholson. Um, but I feel like a lot hinges on her and her performance. Everyone's performance, but I really, honorable mention, There Can Be Only One would go to Shelley Duvall. I, what, have you had negative feelings toward her performance, or you just been kind of like, eh? Or, I think like, I was in the same boat as you. Really? You just said before I understood how many takes and how she was treated. Yeah. Because... In I think it was that, 180 on that stair scene. I think it was like... Yeah, it was off the... Yeah. But I think that in spite of that, or maybe because of it, yeah. when I understood that and I understood how terribly tired this poor actress must have been, yeah. but then who knows what take we actually saw. Yeah. Or amalgamation of takes that we actually yeah. see. But it's incredible that she was able to persevere. And, it is, and still be um, accessible. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think it's, yeah. I think it's incredible for whatever reason you want to look at it. I think she's a great counterpoint though, because mm-hmm. she's the grounding in reality of what would we do versus right. all these crazy people. This kid, right. who's either you know traumatized or you know being sucked dry by this place, right? And the dad who's being used by the yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So. I was I was thinking, do I put Shelley? Well, I, I just can't. The, there can be only one for me is the camera. It's where the camera is. It's how it's used. It it's like, yeah, I mean, it is watching it. I was like calling out the shot types to my kids and they're just rolling their eyes. I'm like, <laughs> oh, look at that. Look at that. Look what the camera does. The steady cam stuff, whip pans, snap zooms. There's just so many things in this movie with the camera. You could just pay attention to what the camera is doing. And be wildly entertained because it's being utilized by a master. There's even the moment where it's in the making of where Kubrick is trying to figure out where to put the camera when Jack is trying to argue his way out of the uh, supply closet that he's in. Right. And they're like, do we film it this way, this way? And they're like, let's get under him and shoot up. And they're Kubrick's under there with the camera like up. And yeah, and Jack's hands. And it's just like. Yeah, the camera's a star. I mean, it's Kubrick and the cinematographer utilizing the camera, but it, it truly, the way it is utilized, you even mentioned at the top of the show, like this tracking shot that goes over the, following the car up the mountains to the overlook and just the feeling of dread and doom and isolation and the camera's doing that. And it's unique. It feels like something you've not seen before. It does. Right? And, and there's so many moments like that. Throughout the film where you're like, whoa, where he put the camera, that's interesting. I haven't seen that. Oh, when he, you know, has the camera following Danny in, on this big wheel and he turns the corner and there are the twins. Oh, so good. And he never goes close up on the twins. He stays back over the shoulder behind Danny like we are with Danny seeing that. And it's like his decisions on where he puts the camera, it, it, Dare I say it shows his genius. And for me, there can be only one. It's the camera and where the camera is in The Shining. I love it. Makes sense. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for this episode of The Shining. Patrons, stay tuned. Just hang on after this this music as we close out because we'll be going right into a little discussion about Dr. Sleep, the sequel. If you're interested in hearing this discussion, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash living in the past, L-I-V-I-N-I-N, the past. And hop in and listen to the conversation. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye.